0: A statement that I would like you to keep in mind this morning is that all is well even though all is not well. It's wonderful to know that all is well even in times when all is not well. Now, I'm not trying to be ridiculous this morning, or, nor am I trying to play word games, but it is important to know that even when things are going contrary to our hopes desires, real and felt needs. In short, when things are not going well, yet all is well, God is still in control, God still has a purpose, God is still achieving his ends, God is still meeting the needs of his people. Sometimes all is well because one is happy and content with life just the way it is. At other times, we are unhappy and discontent. But even in those times, as children of God, all is well. This morning, we are in a portion of Scripture that teaches us that as children of God, we can always say, all is well. As the passage opens, all is going well for this Shumanite woman. She is happy and content with life. This woman in our passage, unlike the starving widow of last week, is a rich person who is living in abundance. Verse 8, One day Elisha went to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived. In our greater text, we've seen that Elisha has ministered to kings. He's ministered to starving widows. Here he's ministering to a rich married woman, and we find out that God cares and has a purpose for all of people in all matters and situations of life. This woman was an extremely kind woman. She had compassion on Elisha, who was a weary traveler, and she wanted to provide him with a good meal, 2 Kings 4-6. One day, Elisha went to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, and now these words who urged him to eat some food. She wasn't just offering, she was really insistent that he would stop and have dinner with the family. This woman was a very hospitable person. She provided food for Elisha on a regular basis. At the end of verse 8, it says, "...so Whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. So this became a regular occurrence. Every time he'd be going up to Mount Carmel in order to offer sacrifice, etc., he'd stop and have a dinner uh, at this woman's house. We find out that this woman was exceedingly generous. For as she reflected upon Elisha's needs, she realized that there was more that she could do for him She could not only provide him with food, but she could provide him with housing as well. Verse 9. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. It was quite Consider it quite generous. Imagine building another room on your house in order to provide hospitality to this prophet. We also learned that this was a very godly woman, for we know that she wanted to help Elisha because of his position and work as a prophet. It tells us in verse 9, she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this holy man of God Man of God. That's how Elisha is going to be referred to throughout this particular portion of Scripture. He's a man of God. He's God's man. He's God's prophet. He's doing God's work. And she also wanted to help Elisha because he was truly a godly person in his own right. For it says in verse 9, behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God. He was not just a man of God, but he was truly a holy man of God. You would hope that all men of God would be holy, but that's not the case. Not every prophet was a true prophet. Not every prophet was the kind of person that they ought to be, but he was sincere, he was devout. He was not only a man of God, but he was righteous
1: in his intentions. She wanted to be kind to Elisha in order to encourage and support him in his work.
0: He wasn't just a prophet in name only. He was a true and righteous prophet of the true and living God, and her desire is very commendable. In fact, Jesus taught us how blessed a person is who shows kindness to others because they value them as a prophet Or because they are a righteous person. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 41 and following: the one who receives a prophet, because he's a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones, even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, you will by no means lose his reward. So Jesus speaks of blessings that come upon those who show support and hospitality to those who are righteous, to those who are uh, prophets, to those who are disciples and followers of God. Elisha was all three of these things. He was a prophet, he was righteous, and he was himself. A disciple had been discipled even by Elijah. God wonderfully supplied Elisha's need through the generosity of this godly woman, and Elisha appreciates it. And so Elisha seeks to express his appreciation for the woman's hospitality. He wants to reward her for all that she has done. Verse 11, One day he came there, and he turned into the chamber And rested. And as he rests and as he reflects, Elisha wants to know what kindness can be shown to this woman. Verses 12 and 13. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, Say now to her, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? What can we do for you in return? You've shown us such kindness, such favor. What favor can we do for you? We find out this is an extremely contented woman. All is well with her. She has no request. She answered at the end of verse 13,
1: I dwell among my own people.
0: I'm free, I have a place to live, I have all that I need. She asks for nothing. She is content. All her needs are being met, and not only are her needs being met, she views herself as having abundance and is willing to use her excess to support Elisha. So, what do you give a woman who has everything? is the next question, verse 14. And he said, what then is to be done for her? This is Elisha speaking to Gehazi. What are we gonna do? She's got everything. Well, Gehazi has a suggestion, verse 14. And he said, what's then to be done for her? Gehazi answered, well, she has no son, and her husband is old. Doesn't have any child. Husband's old, they're not able to have children. And so Elisha thinks, oh, this is a great idea. Elisha informs her that she's going to have a child, verse 15. He said, call her. And when he called her, she stood in the doorway and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. She finds such an idea hard to believe, verse 16. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. This can't happen. But she's delighted with the prospect of a child. Remember, she did not even ask for a child. She had not even broached the subject. So the woman becomes pregnant and has a son, verse 17. But the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time, the following uh, spring, as Elisha had said to her. The child grew. We know nothing more about this child except the child grew, became sick, and died, verses 18 and 19. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. And he said to his father, oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child
1: sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. So now what? Now things weren't going so well. Now things weren't turning
0: out the way that things were to be expected. How is this godly woman going to respond? Well, the woman seeks Elisha's help, verses 21 and 22. She went up and laid him, that is the child on the bed of the man of God, and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys, that I may go to the man of God and come back again. Her husband has a question. And he said, Why will you go to him today? It is neither noon, moon, nor Sabbath. Now, what is the husband really asking his wife? when he says, Why will you go to him today? It's neither new moon or Sabbath. Well, there's two different ways that we can understand the question. On the one hand, is he asking, why would you want to go to see Elisha when it's not a time of worship? Why, why do you want to go? This isn't a time that we go to Mount Carmel and worship. Why, why, do, you want to, why, why do you want to see Elisha? Some have suge- suggested that her husband does not know that the, dead, that the child is dead is dead and she's trying to keep it from him. Or the question might be why would she expect to find Elisha? There's no guarantee that he's going to be at Mount Carmel. Or it's neither a new moon or a Sabbath day. It's not a time for him to be ministering there. Why would you think that if you go that you're going to find him? Whatever the question, perhaps there are more that Answers that could be given.
1: But whatever the question, her response is, all is well. All is well. Hence the title of the message, all is well. But we know
0: that not everything is well. We know that something terrible has just happened. We know this woman is upset. She's
1: distraught. What a curious response. What are we to make of it? Why does she say, All is well? Is she in a rush
0: and doesn't want to take time to explain her actions to her husband and simply says, Everything's okay, everything's okay. And she wants to get out of there? Is her husband uncaring? Is he unaware that the child dies and he wants to keep it from him? If so, why? One would presume he is going to find out eventually. Or is this some off-handed way of not wanting to confront her emotions and her loss? Is, is she simply living in denial? <laughs> is she saying everything's okay when everything isn't okay? Is she just living in her own fantasy world and closing her eyes to the heartache and the misery that she's experiencing? Is it simply denial of everything that's taken place? Or is this some kind of statement of faith? Is she saying that in the midst of all this struggle and all this difficulty and all this hardship
1: and, and the death of her son, all is well, even though all is not well? Is it a statement of faith? Hold that thought.
0: So off she goes to Elisha. Verse 24. Then she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, Urge this animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. She wants to get there quickly. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there is the Shumanite. So Elisha sends. How's he to inquire of her? What's up? Verse twenty-six. Run at once to meet her and say to her: "Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband?
1: Is all well with the child?" Couldn't get more specific than that. Is all well with you, your husband, your child. Her response is again the words. all is well. All is well. But we know that not all is well. Is her response disingenuous? Is she just putting on a brave front? Does she simply not want to deal with Gehazi?
0: Is she thinking that, you know, he doesn't really care, like a greeting when people say, how are you? And you immediately say, oh, everything's fine, but everything's not fine. Things are a mess, you're, you're going through difficulty, hardship, maybe you lost a job, maybe the children are sick,
1: but all's fine. Is it just an offhanded statement? Is it an outright lie? and a misrepresentation of really what's going on or is it a statement of faith? Is there a reality when she responds all is well? The woman is coming for Elisha
0: for help. She has great trust and hope in Elisha But we discover that Elisha's limitations are revealed even though he's a man of God. He's a man of God, he's a prophet, but he has his limits. First, Elisha is limited in his knowledge. Elisha only knows what God reveals to him, verse 27. When she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone. For she is in bitter distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Elisha's a prophet, but he's not omniscient. He's a prophet, but he doesn't know everything. As a prophet, he only knows what God tells him. He only knows what God reveals to him. And in this instance, God didn't reveal it. But he knows this woman is suffering.
1: And so he says, No, don't push her away. Don't push her away. Elisha is limited in power. Elisha
0: is only able to do what God enables him to do. She pours out her lament to Elisha. Then she said, Did I seek my Lord for a son? Did I not say,
1: do not deceive me? All is clearly not well. But she had said, all is well. I wonder, I wonder, even in times of tears, even in times of emotional distress, even at our lowest points, Can we really say all is well? Are those two ideas totally incompatible? Can all be well and we still have tears? All is well we have a dead child. All is well we don't know what's going on. One must ask the question, what was she expecting Elisha to do? When she went to him, why was she even there? What was she expecting from Elisha? She clearly expects him to do something. Why? Why? should she
0: believe that Elisha could do something in this particular situation and instance?
1: I believe the answer is that when the child was born, it was a miracle. She had no hope of having this child, and yet she had a child. She had learned that God can do miraculous things. And Elisha, who,
0: by the power of God, graciously gave this child, could save this child. Where she said in verse 28, Did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Was I not trusting in you? Now, we find from the Scriptures, according to the book of Hebrews, that Abraham... Followed that very line of reasoning when he was told to offer up his son Isaac. For he knew that he had received Isaac, as it were, from the dead. Remember,
1: Sarah's womb was dead. And it was a miracle that Isaac was born.
0: God had promised that Isaac would have children, Isaac had no child when God said to Abraham, offer up your son Isaac. And he was well, ready to do that. And he even said to his servant, we're going to return. We're going to come back, both of us. And Hebrews tells us that he reasoned that the God who was powerful enough to give them a child when his wife was barren would keep his promise That he would have a child, and if it meant that he was to die, that God would raise him again from the dead. He believed that God could have that power. I believe that she had the expectation this
1: child was going to come back to life, and that Elisha was going to be able to do this. So
0: Elisha acts and gives instructions to Gehazi, verse 29. He said to Gehazi, Tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply. And lay my staff on the face of the child. However, the woman is not going to leave Elisha's side. So he's going to have to go also. Verse 30, then the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he rose and followed her. Gehazi gets there first and does what Elisha told him to do but there is no response, verse 31. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child but there was no sound or sign of life. What went wrong? Well it should be noted that Elisha had not said that the child would recover though it's clear that's what he expected. But he didn't say that that would happen. It would appear that Elisha had taken this course of action on his own initiative, that he had not consulted the Lord or sought the Lord's help, but just dispatched him and told him what to do. Perhaps God did not want Dahazi to receive such notoriety as having raised this child from the dead. So Elisha prays to the Lord demonstrating his dependence upon the Lord. Verse 32, when Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying on the bed. So he went in, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Having prayed, the child is restored to life. Verses 34 and 35. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself upon him. The flesh of his child became warm. And he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes now we can look at all that was done but in the end it is the answer to prayer which delivers this child it was the power of God the child is restored to his mother verse 36 and he summoned Gehazi and said call this Shumanite so he called her when she came to him he said pick up your son the mother shows deference to Elisha and to the Lord 2nd Kings 4.37 she came and fell at his
1: feet bowing to the ground Then she picked up her son and went out all is well everything turns out great she has her son she's happy Things have turned out in a wonderful way, all is well. But that's not the end of the story. And it's not the end of God's working, and it's not the complete fulfillment of God's purpose. There's much more than this. For all is well, but not all is well. She's now content, she's happy, and things have turned out just the way that she had
0: hoped they would. But not all is well. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 8.
1: 2 Kings chapter 8. The Lord's Providential care for this woman and her family does not end here. Nor is this uh, fulfillment of all that God intends
0: to accomplish in the death and resurrection of this child. Soon, seemingly, excuse me, all will not be well again. Elisha informs the woman of a prolonged famine that is to come, verse 1. Now, Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Arise, and depart with your household, and sojourn wherever you can. The Lord has called a famine, and will come upon the land for seven years. The famine is God's doing. The Lord has called for a famine, verse 1. And God will provide for this woman by sending her to a foreign land God does not choose to provide for her in the land of Israel where she now lives he isn't going to miraculously cause oil to continue to flow as he did for the widow woman here he's going to use very ordinary means go to another place where you'll have food he provides by giving her instruction as to what she's to do the woman obeys the Lord's instructions. Verse two. So, a woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. She went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines for seven years. She accepts the fact that she must leave, even though things are seemingly going so
1: well. This famine has not yet started; it's just predicted. She's in a nice home, she's wealthy, she has plenty of food, enough to share,
0: she has her child restored to life, knows that God can provide and
1: care for her, that God can do miraculous things, why would she leave? Why why would she leave the good life and go into the land of the Philistines, The enemy of the people of God. What motivation? Answer. Because that's what she's instructed to do. Because that's what the prophet tells her is God's will. And she obeys. She obeys. And we are going to find that in obeying, she even puts her land at risk. Verse 2 So the woman arose and did according to the word of the man
0: of God. She went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years.
1: So even when all was well, she understood that according to the will of God, not all would be well. And so she needed to leave.
0: When she returns from the land of the Philistines, she finds that not all is well. Someone has taken over her land in her absence. Upon a return, the woman appeals to the king for her land. Verse 3. And at the end of the seven years, when the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, she went to appeal to the king for her house and her land. So in her absence, that, that land was confiscated. When she comes before the king, Gehazi,
1: Elisha's servant, just happens to be there. No. Here is God's providence at work. This is not mere coincidence
0: or chance. Gehazi just doesn't happen to be there.
1: And Gehazi is
0: answering the king's questions concerning Elisha's accomplishments. Look at verse 4. Now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. He wants to learn more about this prophet. This prophet that is gaining notoriety, this prophet that is seemingly doing miraculous things, this prophet that declares that he is speaking for God, he
1: says to Gehazi, tell me more about him. Tell tell me what he's doing. At the very time that he's asking that question, lo and behold, guess who shows up? Verse 5. And
0: while he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, behold,
1: behold, look at this, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. That's no coincidence. That's not luck. Luck behold. This is the work of God. Now this story starts taking on a little different light. Now
0: we discover that the child died not because God is cruel and uncaring, not because he is insensitive or not because God is some kind of vindictive God or, or cruel God. He's not like a little boy who squashes a
1: bug just for the fun of it. He doesn't take the life of this child just to put this woman through the ringer. There is a reason. There's a purpose. God wanted to use that miracle to promote
0: his prophet, Elisha, to give him credibility,
1: to demonstrate that he spoke for God. God was using that miracle
0: to speak to a nation who he brought a famine to for seven years because of his displeasure with them. But because of his pleasure with this woman, spares her of the famine, sends her away, and now returns. You see, God has many purposes, many ends that he is
1: achieving in this one event. There are splinters in this story. Application. It's wonderful that we know what's going on here. Most often in life, we don't know why things come into our lives we don't know why children die we don't know why we get sick we don't know why we lose our job we don't know we don't know but god always has a reason
0: for what he does Romans 28: We know that all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to His purpose. He has a purpose. He has a plan. He has an end in view. that is the welfare of his people and the furtherance of his kingdom. God is not
1: capricious. God is wise, and God is sovereign. So she has the opportunity
0: to share the story with the king, verse 6. And when the king
1: asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers,
0: together with all the produce of the fields, from the day until she left the land until now. Give her her land back, and give her all the proceeds. This land, anything that it produced, now it didn't produce a lot,
1: there was a famine. But whatever was made, restore it to her. This was the king's doing. Remember early in the story, Elisha asked through Gehazi, what can we do for you? can we make a request of the king? And she says, I live with my people. I don't have any needs. All of a sudden, she's got a need. All of a sudden, she has to go and make a request of the king. Things have turned on its head. This rich, man, this rich woman now has Nothing. all is well, even though all is not well. And God restores her wealth and her riches and her house. And God brings a testimony to the king and an exaltation of Elisha, that we will look at next week. He's achieving his purpose. In conclusion,
0: truly, we need to understand that when things are not going well, all is still well. God is in control of our lives. And we know that all things work together for good. All things everything, even the sin, even the misery, even the retribution, whatever it is, all things, without
1: exception, fit within an overall plan of God. And so while we might not always be
0: happy and we might not always be cheerful, and in fact, things can look like they're going in the wrong direction, totally
1: out of control. They're not out of control. They're out of our control. But they're not out of God's control. And our God, who is in control of all things, loves us and cares for us, and is
0: is not indifferent to our heartaches and miseries. And even in our heartaches and misery, he will minister to us,
1: and he will achieve his purpose and his end. But we don't know it. We have to take it by faith. We have to say, all is well. Even when we don't see yet how it turns out.
0: And very likely, not even in the end of our life. Well, we know on this earth all that God is doing and accomplishing in
1: what we go through. But God is at work. He was at work in her family. He
0: was at work in the life of Elisha. He was at work in the king, and he was at work in the nation. God's purpose for the woman is being fulfilled. God's purpose for Elisha is being fulfilled. God's purpose for the king is being fulfilled. God's purpose for the nation is being fulfilled. God works in many different ways, supernaturally and natural. He provides sometimes through oil, and he provides sometimes with
1: a woman going to a foreign land. He can govern things so that there are... that
0: kings are asking questions at the right time. God is at work in our lives individually and corporately. All things are working together for good.
1: All is well even when it seems not as though all is well. In closing, we're going to sing a hymn. The popular name of the hymn is, It is Well With My Soul.
0: Many of you know the story, but let me tell you the story of of this hymn. It is Well My Soul was written after traumatic events in Horatio Spafford's life. The first two were the death of his four-year-old son and the Great Chicago Fire of 1871, which ruined him financially. He had been a successful lawyer and had invested significantly in property in the area of Chicago that was extensively damaged by the Great Fire. His business interests were further hit by the economic downturn of 1873, at which time he had planned to sail to England with his family to help with D.L. Moody's upcoming evangelistic campaigns. D.L. Moody was in England holding evangelistic campaigns and he wanted to go with his family and help. In a late change of plans, he sent the family ahead while he was delayed on business concerning zoning problems following the Chicago Fire. While crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship sank rapidly after a collision with another ship, the Loch Earn.
1: and all four of his daughters died. His wife Anna survived and sent him the now-famous telegram from England, Saved Alone. The only one that had made it. Shortly afterwards,
0: as Spafford sailed to meet his grieving wife, he was notified by the ship's captain they were about to sail over the very spot where
1: the previous ship had gone down. He stood by the rail, looked over the side, and wept. And it was out of that experience. That he wrote the words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. A poem that would later be
0: put to music by Philip Pliss and has been sung literally by millions of people. 2023 is the 150th anniversary of the writing of It Is Well My Soul. Commemoration services are being planned to remember the actual day of the tragedy, Wednesday,
1: November 22nd, coming up. A great celebration of this great hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. God, in his grace, intended through that tragedy, to minister to all of us here this day. To provide him with a witness that our God is gracious Our God is loving, our God is kind. And even though life is hard, all is well with our soul. We will be in his presence. We will know complete joy and delight. And God's purposes will be accomplished. So, even though all is not well, All is well. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to learn that all is well.
0: It doesn't mean we don't have tears. It doesn't mean we don't have heartache. It doesn't mean that we don't have sorrow. It doesn't mean that we don't have questions. But Lord, we believe that you are a sovereign God and you have a purpose. Lord, help us to believe that you're invisible hand of providence is governing all the affairs of our lives may we be able to say with assurance this morning
1: that life is not out of control that we are not just the product of fate or of bad luck A sovereign, knowing, loving, compassionate God
0: is leading and directing in the affairs of our life, accomplishing your purpose in our lives and your greater purpose in this world.
1: For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.